Section 14 of The Trial of Susan B. Anthony by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Van Voorhees addressed the court at some length as follows. May it please the court, I submit that there is no ground whatever to charge these defendants with any criminal offense. One, because the women who voted were legal voters. Two, because they were challenged and took the oaths which the statute requires of electors, and the inspectors had no right after such oath to reject their votes. Volume 1, R. S. Edmonds, Editor, page 126-127. The duty of inspectors of election is defined by the statute as follows. Section 13. If any person offering to vote at any election shall be challenged in relation to his right to vote at that election, by an inspector or by any other person entitled to vote at the same poll, one of the inspectors shall tender to him the following preliminary oath. You do swear or affirm that you will truly and fully answer all such questions as shall be put to you, touching your place of residence and qualifications as an elector. Section 14. The inspectors, or one of them, shall then proceed to question the person challenged, in relation to his name, his then place of residence, how long he has resided in the town or ward where the vote is offered, what was the last place of his residence before he came into that town or ward, and also as to his citizenship, and whether a native or a naturalized citizen, and if the latter, when, where, and in what court, or before what officer he was naturalized, whether he came into the town or ward for the purpose of voting at that election, how long he contemplates residing in the town or ward, and all other such questions as may tend to test his qualifications as a resident of the town or ward, citizenship, and right to vote at that poll. Section 15. If any person shall refuse to take the said preliminary oath when so tendered, or to answer fully any questions which shall be so put to him, his vote shall be rejected. Section 16. After receiving the answers of the person so challenged, the Board of Inspectors shall point out to him the qualifications, if any, in respect to which he shall appear to them deficient. Section 17. If the person so offering shall persist in his claim to vote, and the challenge shall not be withdrawn, one of the inspectors shall then administer the following oath. You do swear, or affirm, as the case may be, that you have been a citizen of the United States for ten days, and are now of the age of twenty-one years, that you have been an inhabitant of this state for one year next preceding this election, and for the last four months a resident of this county, that you have been for thirty days next preceding this election a resident of this assembly district, or senate or congressional district or districts, ward, town, village, or city from which the officer is to be chosen, for whom said person offers to vote, that you are now a resident of this town or ward, as the case may be, and of the election district in which you now offer to vote, 
and that you have not made any bet or wager and are not directly or indirectly interested in any bet or wager depending upon the result of this election and that you have not voted at this election section eighteen prescribes the form of oath to be administered to colored men section nineteen if any person shall refuse to take the oath so tendered his vote shall be rejected the defendants performed their duty strictly and fully according to this statute the persons offering to vote were challenged the defendants administered the preliminary oath to them all the questions required by the statute were answered fully and truly the challenge was still insisted on the general oath was administered by the defendants to them they took that oath and every word contained in it was true in their case the inspectors had no alternative they could not reject the votes this statute has been construed by the court of appeals of this state in the case of the people versus peas volume twenty seven new york page forty five in that case it is held that inspectors of election have no authority by statute to reject a vote except in three cases one after a refusal to take the preliminary oath or two to fully answer any questions put or three on refusal to take the general oath davies j in his opinion after an examination of the provisions of the statute says it is seen therefore that the inspectors have no authority by statute to reject a vote except in the three cases after refusal to take the preliminary oath or fully to answer any questions put or on refusal to take the general oath and the only judicial discretion vested in them is to determine whether any question put to the person offering to vote has or has not been fully answered if the questions put have been fully answered and such answers discover the fact that the person offering to vote is not a qualified voter yet if he persists in his claim to vote it is imperative upon the inspectors to administer to him the general oath and if taken to receive the vote and deposit the same in the ballot box selden j who wrote in the same case examines this question with great care and reaches the same conclusion he says the course required by the statute to be pursued where the right of any person to vote is challenged cannot be reconciled with any discretionary power of rejection vested in the inspectors citing the statute as above quoted the inspectors are first to administer what is called the preliminary oath requiring the person offering the vote to answer such questions as shall be put to him touching his place of residence and qualifications as an elector the statute then mentions several questions which are to be addressed to him by the inspectors and authorizes such other questions as may tend to test his qualifications as a voter if he refuse to take the oath or to answer fully his vote is to be rejected but if he answers fully the inspectors are required to point out to him the qualifications if any in which he shall appear to them to be deficient if he still persists in his right to vote and the challenge is not withdrawn 
the inspectors are required to administer to him the general oath in which he states in detail and swears that he possesses all the qualifications the constitution and laws require the voter to possess if he refuse to take the oath his vote shall be rejected is not the inference irresistible that if he take the oath it shall be received if his vote is to be rejected after he takes the oath why not reject it before as i construe the statute the inspectors have no discretion left them in such a case where the person offering to vote is not shown by a record to have been convicted of a crime or by his own oath to be interested in a bet upon the election but must deposit the ballot in the box whatever they may believe or know of the want of qualifications of the voter they are required to act upon the evidence which the statute prescribes and have no judicial power to pass upon the question of its truth or falsehood nor can they act upon their own opinion or knowledge these views were concurred in by all the judges denio j who wrote a dissenting opinion in the case concurred with the other judges as to the powers and duties of inspectors the defendants then have not in the least violated any law of the state of new york they performed their duty according to the statute and in accordance with the decision of the highest court of the state and in accordance with the printed instructions furnished them by the secretary of state what further can be demanded of them no united states statute prescribes or attempts to prescribe their duties they cannot legally be convicted and should be discharged third because no malice is shown whether the women were entitled to have their names registered and to vote or not the defendants believed they had such right and acted in good faith according to their best judgment in allowing the registry of their names and in receiving their votes and whether they decided right or wrong in point of law they are not guilty of any criminal offence the substance of the statute is as to registration if any such officer shall knowingly and wilfully register as a voter any person not entitled to be registered or refuse to so register any person entitled to be registered every such person shall be deemed guilty of a crime act of may thirty first eighteen seventy section twenty as amended by act of february twenty eighth eighteen seventy one section one and as to voting if any person shall knowingly and wilfully receive the vote of any person not entitled to vote or refuse to receive the vote of any person entitled to vote every such person shall be deemed guilty of a crime act of may thirty first eighteen seventy section nineteen to bring an inspector within either of these sections he must know as a matter of fact that the person offering to vote or to be registered is not entitled to be registered or to vote the inspectors were compelled to decide the question and to decide it instantly with no chance for examination or even consultation and if they decided in good faith according to the best of their ability they are excused whether they decided correctly or not in point of law 
this is too well settled to admit of dispute settled by authority as well as by the plainest principles of justice and common sense the law never yet placed a public officer in a position where he would be compelled to decide a doubtful legal question and to act upon his decision subject to the penalty of fine or imprisonment if he chanced to err in his decision all that is ever required of an officer so placed whether a judicial or ministerial officer so far as is necessary to escape any imputations of crime is good faith ministerial officers may be required in some cases to act at their peril as to civil responsibilities but as to criminal responsibilities never inspectors of elections however acting in good faith incur neither civil nor criminal responsibilities in jenkins versus waldron volume eleven john page one fourteen which was an action on the case against inspectors of election for refusing to receive the vote of the plaintiff a duly qualified voter it was held that the action would not lie without proving malice spencer j delivering the opinion of the court closes as follows it would in our opinion be opposed to all the principles of law justice and sound policy to hold that officers called upon to exercise their deliberate judgments are answerable for a mistake in law either civilly or criminally where their motives are pure and untainted with fraud or malice the same point precisely was decided in a like case in the supreme court of this state recently and jenkins v waldron approved gutchins v mathewson volume five lansing page two fourteen in harmon v tappenden and fifteen others volume one east page five fifty five the plaintiff was a freeman of the company of free fishermen and dredgermen of the manor and hundred of faversham in kent and the defendants as officers of the company caused him wrongfully unlawfully and unjustly to be disenfranchised and removed from his said office of free man he was restored by mandamus and brought his action on the case against the defendants who removed him to recover his damages on the trial before lord kenyon c j a verdict was taken for the plaintiff for nominal damages with leave to the defendant to move to enter a non-suit on that motion lord kenyon c j said have you any precedent to show that an action of this sort will lie without proof of malice in the defendants or that the act of disenfranchisement was done on purpose to deprive the plaintiff of the particular advantage which resulted to him from his corporate character i believe this is a case of the first impression where an action of this kind has been brought upon a mere mistake or error in judgment the plaintiff had broken a by-law for which he had incurred certain penalties and happening to be personally present in the court he was called upon to show cause why he should not pay the forfeitures to which not making any answer but refusing to pay them the court proceeded taking the offence pro confesso without any proof to call on him to show cause why he should not be disenfranchised 
and they accordingly made the order. This was undoubtedly irregular, but it was nothing more than a mistake, and there was no ground to impute any malicious motives to the persons making the order. Lawrence, Justice said, there is no instance of an action of this sort maintained for an act merely from an error of judgment. Perhaps the action might have been maintained if it had been proved that the defendants contriving and intending to injure and prejudice the plaintiff, and to deprive him of the benefit of his profits from the fishery, which as a member of this body he was entitled to, according to the custom, had wilfully and maliciously procured him to be disenfranchised, in consequence of which he was deprived of such profits. But here there was no evidence of any wilful and malicious intention to deprive the plaintiff of his profits, or that they had disenfranchised him with that intent, which is necessary to maintain this action. They were indeed guilty of an error in their proceedings to disenfranchise him, in not going into any proof of the offence charged against him, but taking his silence as a confession. In the case of Drew v. Colton, where the action was against the mayor of Saltash, who was returning officer, for refusing the plaintiff's vote at an election, which was claimed in right of a burgage tenement, Wilson, justice, non-suited the plaintiff because malice was not proved, and he observed that though Lord Holt, in the case of Ashby v. White, endeavoured to show that the action lay for the obstruction of the right, yet the House of Lords, in the justification of their conduct, supposed to be written by the Chief Justice, puts it upon a different principle, the willfulness of the act. The declaration in that case was copied from the precedent in Millward v. Sargent, which came on in this court on a writ of error, Hill, page 26, George III, for refusing the plaintiff's vote for the borough of Hastings. There the charge was that the defendant, contriving and wrongfully intending to injure and prejudice the plaintiff, and to hinder and deprive him of his privilege of voting, did not take or allow his vote. All which allegations Mr. Justice Wilson, in the case above alluded to, thought were essential to be proved in order to sustain the action. Per curiam, rule discharged. The reporter's head note is, an action does not lie against individuals for acts erroneously done by them in a corporate capacity, from which detriment has happened to the plaintiff, at least not without proof of malice. The case of Drew v. Colton is given at length in a note to Harmon v. Tappenden and others, volume 1, east, page 563, and fully sustains what is said of it by Mr. Justice Lawrence. The election was for member to serve in Parliament for the borough of Saltash. The defendant was mayor and returning officer. The question presented to him was whether the owners of burgage tenements in the borough had a right of voting, or whether that right was confined to the freemen of the corporation. The defendant had rejected the vote offered by the plaintiff, he claiming the right as a burgage tenant. The action was for that refusal, charging the defendant with contriving and wrongfully intending to deprive the plaintiff, etc., obstructed and hindered him from giving his vote. 
wilson among other things says this is in the nature of it an action for misbehavior by a public officer in his duty now i think that it cannot be called a misbehavior unless maliciously and wilfully done and that the action will not lie for a mistake in law the case of the bridge-master is in point it is there said that an action on the case lies against a ministerial officer for wilful misbehavior as denying a poll for one who is a candidate for an elective office such as bridge-master etc in all the cases put the misbehavior must be wilful and by wilful i understand contrary to a man's own conviction therefore i think from the opening of counsel this is not a wilful refusal of the vote in very few instances is an officer answerable for what he does to the best of his judgment in cases where he is compelled to act but the action lies where the officer has an option whether he will act or not besides i think that if an action were to be brought upon every occasion of this kind by every person whose vote was refused it would be such an inconvenience as the law would not endure a returning officer in such a case would be in a most perilous situation this gentleman was put in a situation where he was bound to act and if he acted to the best of his judgment it would be a great hardship that he should be answerable for the consequences even though he is mistaken on a point of law it was a very material observation of mr gibbs that the words of the resolution of the house of lords in ashby versus white followed the words of the statute of william the third for if that statute were declaratory of the common law as it purports to be be it enacted and declared that all false returns wilfully made etc and an action would not lie at common law for a false return unless the return be proved to have been made maliciously as well as falsely it should seem by a parity of reasoning that a person whose vote is refused by a returning officer cannot maintain an action against him unless the refusal be proved to have been wilful and malicious and if malice were necessary before the statute by the common law and since by the statute which is declaratory thereof to sustain an action for a false return which includes perhaps the votes of all it seems equally necessary in an action like the present where the injury complained of is to one only i do not mean to say that in this kind of action it is necessary to prove express malice it is sufficient if malice may be implied from the conduct of the officer as if he had decided contrary to a last resolution of the house of commons there i would leave it to the jury to imply malice but taking all the circumstances of this case together malice can in no shape be imputed to the defendant the plaintiff may have a right to vote but that depends upon an intricate question of law with respect to burgage tenures the right itself founded on ancient documents and usages and not acted upon for many years from these grounds therefore it cannot be inferred that the defendant has acted wilfully and maliciously in refusing the plaintiff's vote and unless that be so he is not liable in this action but without determining whether the statute be declaratory of the common law or not 
if not the case rests on that of ashby versus white now all the debates and arguments in that case go upon the malice and all those who have acted on that determination since have considered that the refusal must be willful and malicious in order to support the action and in my opinion it cannot be said that because an officer is mistaken in a point of law this action will lie against him it has also been said that this is not like a case where a burdensome office is thrown upon a man without his consent wherein he is compellable to act for that here the defendant has chosen to become a member of a corporation by which he had put himself in a situation to become a returning officer and therefore that he is bound to understand the whole law as far as it relates to his public situation and is answerable for any determination he may make contrary to that law but i much doubt whether that rule be generally true and in the present instance i am clearly of opinion that the want of malice is a full defence lawrence j sat with wilson the plaintiff was non-suited and no new trial was moved for bernardiston versus somme volume two lev page one fourteen volume one east page five eighty six note b was an action against the sheriff of suffolk charging that the defendant intending to deprive him of the office of knight of the shire made a double return upon a trial at bar twysden rainford and wiley justices held and so directed the jury that if the return was made maliciously they ought to find for the plaintiff which they did and gave him eight hundred pounds on motion in arrest of judgment hale c j being in court he twysden and wiley justices held that forasmuch as the return was laid to be falso at malatios et ia intention to put the plaintiff to charge and expense and so found by the jury the action lay rainsford j doubted but notwithstanding this charge of malice judgment was reversed in cam skeck see volume three lev page thirty and that judgment of reversal was affirmed in parliament lord chief justice north's first reason against the action was because the sheriff as to declaring the mayoralty is judge and no action will lie against a judge for what he does judicially though it should be laid falso malitios et scienter this reversal occasioned the passage of the statute volume seven and eight west three chapter seven which gives an action against the returning officer for all false returns willfully made and for double returns falsely willfully and maliciously made groenvelt versus burwell et al volume one salk page three ninety six south carolina volume two lead ray page two thirty commons page seventy six in this case the censors of the college of physicians and surgeons in london were empowered to inspect govern and censure all practices of physic in london and to punish by fine and imprisonment they convicted the plaintiff of administering noxious medicines and fined him twenty pounds 
and imprisonment twelve months being taken in execution he brought trespass against the censors it was held one that the censors had judicial power two that being judges of the matter what they had adjudged was not traversable that the plaintiff could not be permitted to gainsay what the censors had said by their judgment that the medicines were noxious three though the medicines were really good yet no action lies against the censors because it is a wrong judgment in a matter within the limits of their jurisdiction and a judge is not answerable either to the king or the party for the mistakes or errors of his judgment in a matter of which he has jurisdiction it would expose the justice of the nation and no man would execute the office upon peril of being arraigned by action or indictment for every judgment he pronounces all that i have quoted from the english cases and our own to show that malice must be proven to make out the offence is expressly contained in the statute under which this indictment is framed the words are section nineteen shall knowingly and wilfully receive the vote of any person not entitled to vote and section twenty as amended if any such officer shall knowingly and wilfully register as a voter any person not entitled to vote and wilfully means to use the language of mr justice wilson contrary to a man's own conviction if it be said that the defendants must be presumed to know the law that is answered above by the quotations from the opinion of mr justice wilson besides when the statute speaks of knowledge aside from the expression wilfully it means knowledge as a fact not any forced presumption of knowledge against the clear facts of the case to this extent and to this extent only does the presumption that defendants were bound to know the law go viz they were bound to know that if they as a fact knowingly and wilfully registered as a voter any person not entitled to be registered or knowingly and wilfully received the vote of any persons not entitled to vote in either case they were liable to the penalty and they could not be allowed to urge in their defence any ignorance that the law made those facts criminal here is total absence of any pretence of malice the defendants acted honestly and according to their best judgment this is conceded the most that can be said against them is that they have erred in judgment they are not lawyers nor skilled in the law they had presented to them a legal question which to say the least has puzzled some of the ablest legal minds of the nation the penalty is the same on whichever side they err if they can be convicted of crime a test must be imposed upon them which no judge in the land could stand the defendants should be discharged by this court end of section 14